0: All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 a.m. on campus, and stream it worldwide 24 7, live and on the scene at tunein.com and on the TuneIn app. Um, you know, learn more about Bulls Radio at bullsradio.org. This is a product, a service of the University of South Florida student government. Um, so, this show, Anthro Alert, is about anthropology and why it matters. Each week, we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time, we'll feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology to discuss their research and have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. So, we believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists as aspiring anthropologists as as managers of heritage to better connect with the usf community and raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective and really just kind of introducing what that is to people we like to preface each of our shows with with the disclaimer that the statements we make and the opinions that we express on uh, here on AnthroLord are really that they're just our own opinions they don't necessarily represent anything you know anthropology as a discipline the university of south florida anthropology department usf student government um you know uh, manufacturers of vehicles it's just none of that it's all our opinion in here the four of us sitting here so my name is renee herrera
1: i'm spencer
2: i'm laura and i'm preston lafarge
0: yeah so preston lafarge is our guest Today and he is a master's student here at the University of South Florida, and, and we'll actually be discussing um, his research. So, Preston, now you f- you're from Texas, right? Yes, I am. Nice. Our um, you went to North Texas? Yeah, University in North Texas. Okay, so uh, on our previous show, uh, Kelsey, you might know Kelsey. She she did she was in San Marcos at mm-hmm. uh, Texas State. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we're talking about you and your research today, and it's exciting. Uh, one of the things that I know about your project is that it deals with heritage management. Um, Yeah, Can you just explain what that is for us and kind of introduce us to what heritage management is?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll try. It's actually pretty new to me as well. You know, it's not something that I had really done in the past before, but it was something that was introduced to me by Dr. Antoinette Jackson in her heritage management class, And what I found was that a lot of the theory and a lot of the issues kind of lined up with stuff that I was already doing in Texas under decolonial or sort of indigenous perspectives. But heritage management really deals with um, the management of heritage, so to speak. It has an academic component, so it has its own kind of base of theory of critical theories, but it also has a strong sort of capitalistic management side to it, right? It's, It's museums. It's the theory that museums use to say, hey, where should we spend our money? You know where what should we acquire so it it's not entirely anthropological and it's not entirely these other things it's its own little field that I wanted to see if I could fit into it
1: mm. and so how are how are you using are you using some theories from heritage management and sort of your anthropological work or how are you kind of merging these these two fields or fields of theory
2: right right well, heritage management like I'd say almost any social Sort of anything that deals with people has kind of gone through this discursive turn where they've had to realize that whatever they're, they were thinking was kind of colored by Enlightenment thinking and sort of modernity and things like that. And so in heritage management, it's gotten to a point where they've really they've realized that museums of the past and these things were projects of the nation state to establish their superiority over people, right? And so doing museums in the old way or doing these centers in the old way is unacceptable. And so you're really seeing museums kind of react to that and say, oh, we should not (laughs) steal things from people and we should own up to our past and our future and really be critical of what our role is in society. And that's something that anthropology does all the time. You know, we've been generating theory along those lines for decades.
1: Can you comment on, you know, the change in, in, uh, you know, how heritage management scholars are kind of, reassessing how they acquired goods can you do you know at all how that's kind of shaping how they acquire things like today as far as like how museums get sort of their artifacts now
2: yeah for sure i mean you can almost break up heritage management into two kind of uh spheres of attention i guess they, mm. they talk a lot about intangible versus tangible heritage And in heritage management, there's been a privileging of tangible heritage, so physical objects, right, so pots or sculptures, these things, and then intangible would be more sort of what we understand as anthropologists as culture, right, sort of folk songs or things that you can't physically touch and be managed in a a physical way. And so it's usually archaeologists and other um, sort of – tangible management people that deal with sort of the, the new theory and the new ethics of working with physical items. And that's kind of less of what I do. And I'm kind of more interested in the intangible side, sort of what are the ethics and what are the rules that go into managing these things that we can't touch. Because a lot of people coming from the tangible history and tangible heritage management of the past, they, can't, they don't even, even really understand intangible. And in fact, intangible heritage as a term is relatively new. To the field, it's only in you know the last several decades that the um, I don't know what the body uh, UNESCO or something like that even recognizes mm-hmm. that as heritage. And even then, there's still lots of critiques on that. Right? You Can know? you
3: speak a little bit more about what you mean by intangible right. heritage? Yeah,
2: and I mean that's that's one of those words. I and that's the thing. That's the heritage management discourse, and that's their theory. And I don't necessarily use it. I use it only to bring up heritage management people to speed, you know, to say these Mm -hmm. are words that you use, but I wouldn't necessarily use intangible, but, you know, intangible encompasses, uh, yeah, things like dance, patterns of speech, songs, you know, recollections, oral histories is pretty much the biggest sort of intangible heritage thing that Mm -hmm. management people focus on, Mm -hmm. but that, I think, ends up limiting your understanding, and I think it does a disservice to the breadth of human experiences. You know, it's too easy to say, okay, well, we'll just start focusing on songs now. You know, mm. we got the pots and we got the songs. Good enough. <laughs> okay.
3: As opposed to?
2: Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. Right? Yeah. How yeah. can we take it further? How can it go further? Okay. If it even can.
1: I think that's a good spot to take a quick music break. And then when we come back, maybe we can start trying to answer some of those questions. You can start explaining um, what exactly it is you're doing on your master's project. So All stay right. tuned, everyone.
3: You are listening to AnthroAlert on Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 620 a.m. on campus. And we are streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. You can learn more at BullsRadio.org. Today we're speaking with Mr. Preston LaFarge, who's a master's student in our applied anthropology program here at USF. And we're talking about heritage management and heritage, heritage studies. Preston, could you talk about in this segment what your research is currently?
2: Right. Um, like I said before, I'm, I'm new to heritage management, but I was introduced to it through Dr. Jackson's heritage management class and then specifically her project the Sulphur Springs Heritage Project, which is a project that was negotiated around 2007 with members of the Sulphur Springs community and sort of feeling out their needs and wants to document their unique heritage within that space of the city because it was being left out of larger discussions around the city. And so that's how I was introduced to the project. And from there, I got to know the museum because that was the facilitator, the Sulphur Springs Museum and Heritage Center, sort of between the community and the school. And that's how I kind of draw them on my little, my little map of understanding. Right, they kind of act as an in between some of the larger heritage institutions that were ignoring the community at large, and then they also kind of broker the community to the university and sort of filtering out what the university can offer, and what they can accept.
1: What makes Sulphur Springs uh, unique? Like, what makes? Why is it being left out? Like, what is it? Right. I right, guess. Right. What is its heritage?
2: Well, I mean, if you've spent any time in Tampa and you've talked around people, probably everybody's going to have some kind of opinion on Sulphur Springs. But Mm -hmm. traditionally, Sulphur Springs was an unincorporated part of Tampa Bay, and it was actually a resort town, and it was built as sort of like a a pre-Disney World where it had water rides. And this is around the turn of the century, around the 1880s, that they developed this area with uh, the introduction of the railroad. And what made that place interesting was that It was heavily segregated, and it was one of the most dangerous places to go if you were a person of color in the Tampa Bay area. In fact, I've talked to many people, old-timers, that will tell you that they've been assaulted and beaten up when they were young, well, into the 60s and into the 70s going to Sulphur Springs. Hmm. And it was around the time that Tampa Bay implemented sort of urban renewal, right, and these destructive things like bringing in the highway to – move around people that Sulphur Springs kind of got this reputation because north of Sulphur Springs there was actually an African-American community called Spring Hill that the larger Tampa Bay area didn't really know was there because it was very hard for them to travel past Sulphur Springs, the heavily militarized, heavily <laughs> policed and violent space, right, to go further south into Tampa Bay. And so it's that's that's the history that's where you've been ignored, that you had this neighborhood that was kind of self-contained, kind of self-sufficient north of Sulphur Springs. And so that's what they wanted to capture, to say, hey, you know, Tampa Bay is more than just West Tampa, East Tampa, Ybor, right? There's other places. Mm-hmm.
1: So what is your um, – I guess what are you doing for your project? Are you Do you right. work with, like, specific community members or with a museum there in Sulphur Springs?
2: Right. Well, I really wanted to build off some of the stuff I was doing back in Texas that involved youth and sort of using these um, – what do they call these counter narratives, right? That that have been obscured by the powerful. How you can use those for transformative purposes. How can you take knowledge that's been subjugated and turn that into something into a positive, right? Because in Tampa, sulfur springs is seen as completely negative, and there's not, you know, there's nothing original to sulfur springs that's beneficial. I mean, that's completely wrong, right? That's that's the opposite. In fact, if anything, mm-hmm. it's the only place that can have the solutions to anything mm-hmm. for themselves, and so. That's what I was interested in doing, is how can you tap into existing understandings and use those for transformative purposes, specifically with youth. And I know the museum has been interested in trying to be a hub for youth education because it's one of the things that community members across the state have been concerned about, in in Florida specifically, and sort of its failing schools and its ever-increasing segregated schools. Mm -hmm. So this was an attempt by the community to kind of counter some of those forces and establish sustainable institutions that represent them
1: Mm. so i guess uh, on the the more academic side of things you know what kind of theories or methods are you using to construct i guess your ideas around you know merging anthropology and ethnography and, and critical management to to answer some of these questions
2: right well i really try to use decolonial and indigenous research methodologies the most because they basically kind of flip what most researchers traditionally do where they put their own personal needs, the institutional needs, the organizational needs ahead of people. Whereas I'm saying that the people are the first that should be thought about and not only just for their needs, but in protection, right? Because going back to the example of tangible heritage, it's pretty obvious to see the stealing of tangible items, right? That's an easy conversation for people to understand. It's like, yes, they stole those items. But when you start moving into the realm of intangible heritage, it becomes a little bit more clouded, right? So it's like, oh, I learned this idea from someone, but it's, in reality, you were stealing and you were using these people in these situations for your own gain. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I really try to focus on is how can, you know, we don't don't serve the institutions and don't Mm -hmm. serve the university because they've proven time and time again to actually be detrimental to a lot of communities in Tampa and specifically Sulphur Springs.
1: Mm. Can you give us an example um, like specifically from Sulphur Springs? or um, I'm not sure how far into your research you you are, so that might be kind right. of... Well, cold, yeah.
2: I mean, part of the indigenous research methodologies and decolonial methodologies is that it's not someone like me that would be coming up with those kinds of terms, right, of naming realities and of understandings, right? And I can only really take that step so far Before, it's like, I can't do anymore. You know, I can only talk about it in these general terms, sort of those methodologies. But one thing that I try to encourage is just open talking, you know, and then taking my own experiences to relate them to the similar experiences in Sulphur Springs. And so there's actually a lot of overlap between some of the generations that live there and sort of the experiences that my family has experienced. Mm. And so those are kind of easy conversations to bridge, whereas other researchers might have a difficult time to do that. And then also maybe not writing things down, you know, It's simple little things like that, like not bringing field notes, you know what I mean? That can protect information, it can protect individuals, it can protect all kinds of things. You mm. know what I mean? Putting them into the public record can actually be really, really dangerous and detrimental.
1: Mm.
3: What is the detriment?
2: What is the detriment? Well, a lot of the heritage management and a lot of these larger conversations around decolonialism have been re-energized by ecological crisis and so a lot of people are turning to new sites of knowledge and new sites of of information to spur their imagination right to, to solve these existential crisis and these very real crisis that have never been a problem before right the 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 fate of humanity is not something that people have really incorporated into their praxis and so for a, a lot of people who hold these behaviors or these practices like sustainable farming, or they may they've always grown these seeds, or they've always done these practices, you know, they're vulnerable. Cause like I said, it's, re- it, this conversation has already been had of protecting seeds, right? There's a lot of protection on physical items, even though they still get stolen, but pr- how you grow those seeds and how you do these things, those should also be respected and how are those protected and how are those considered public property, right? And so you have people that are in these populations that are vulnerable and the institution can just go in there and get this information, bring it back to their archives, and people won't even know that that information's there. In fact, the USR, USF archives have you know, pages and pages on Sulphur Springs, and I bet nobody even knows that it's there mm. about management and all kinds of things, including heritage stuff, you know, that aren't even aware that this information was being collected. So even just on, like, a yeah. personal level, it's like, you know, what is that?
1: So then you have questions of, like who, like, who owns that knowledge, right? And so, like, Whose knowledge is it at that point? And that you know that you know, those are some messy questions, I guess.
2: Right, exactly, yeah. and it's all about control, right? You, yeah, it's you yeah. just don't want to be the one deciding who has this information and who doesn't. Right? Mm-hmm. Th-
0: this seems to me almost somewhat um, c- contrary to like I guess w- I imagine what a historian would want because right? they want to like capture, collect, document every single thing possible. Um, not necessarily for like malicious intent, but really just thinking. You know, the more that we can document, the the better position we are in the future to understand what's happening here. And th- that perspective is maybe not not necessarily aware or uh, considerate of basically um, the the topic that we're discussing today is how that potentially creates uh, vulnerabilities. And I mean, really, this is like new to me. So like, my mind's mm-hmm. like, but we should, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, so I'm very happy to, to hear this stuff.
2: Well, I think the question becomes sort of, you know, why 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 now? Why are, why are the powers that be focusing on marginalized communities all of a sudden? You know, once the polar ice cups start mat- melting, why are you now just now br- trying to bridge those gaps? You know what I mean? And not only that you're ignoring all the other attempts previously to have bridged those gaps, right? So that's why I try to bring the decolonial theory into it, because heritage management, from what I can tell at the moment, thinks that it has to reinvent these sort of, you know, ethical things. But in reality, anthropology has been doing it, and decolonial theory has been doing it much longer and much differently, right?
1: We were kind of having this conversation earlier when we met, too, about, you know, reinventing the wheel and these disciplines are essentially having similar conversations but within the university disciplines have gotten so like siloed off from each other that you're having similar conversations in different circles you know and then you're having to recreate all of these theories that are essentially already there you know if you just look for them
0: right exactly
1: so i think uh renee you had a question right
0: Oh, well you know just just really kind of following up on that and trying to understand more um, in regards to like how like how we can we can continue to maybe apply this uh possibly on like a larger scale or just being more aware of how we how we as a a scientific community or how we as a, mm-hmm. a national community try to record and document um our history
2: mm-hmm. um i mean yeah but i would say that we should change the focus again, you should be really reflexive about how you relate to individuals, how you relate to individual communities, how you relate to where you are right now, and maybe focus less on the needs of the institution, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think individual humans, I think, will be alright, but it seems like these institutions need us more than we need them.
0: R- right, because, mm-hmm. like, that's mm-hmm. almost uh, like ca- a capitalistic form of education or docu- or his- histor- historify, <laughs> right. history i don't know
1: yeah
0: okay cool um so i so i guess really then my question is like what are like l- let's make this like applied anthropology like help me understand how how okay. the aspects of well
2: yeah i mean i think anthropology probably is better than any other discipline really to kind of embrace these challenges yeah. right that that are called for by doing decolonial methods. But I think the first thing you should do is, you know, respect your community, respect the people around you and understand that there's histories mm-hmm. that are deeper than you can imagine at the moment, right? And that you're always gonna be at kind of a deci- uh, deficit, right? You are always gonna have to be learning and kind of just being comfortable in the fact that you're never gonna be the expert and you're never gonna be, you know, maybe an insider or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's important to kind of take those reflexive steps.
1: Mm -hmm. um you know this was i guess a project that was established before you started your your project um so i guess maybe there was already a relationship with the community but you know with a community that you know their heritage was being you know ignored in this sort of larger picture of heritage management did you have any any trouble sort of Building relationships or kind of establishing some sort of rapport with with the members of of Sulphur Springs before you started your project?
2: I mean, yeah, just from, like, a Tampa perspective, I think a lot of people are just confused. You know, why why Sulphur Springs or, like, why are you there or why are you here?
1: Why are you interested Um, in the first place?
2: Yeah, why are you interested (laughs) in the first place? I mean, when I have one-on-ones with people, I know I don't think it's difficult at all. You know, it's actually really easy to have these kind of conversations with people because... I can tell them, oh, okay, yeah, I understand that this happened when this happened. Like the highway coming through your neighborhood, that's happened (laughs) to members of my family as well. And so it's these shared experiences and understanding of histories that really help a lot. Because oftentimes you see researchers go in there and they don't even know the history. They don't even know the history of Tampa and sort of urban renewal and how much of that Mm. still has an impact on the the city, right? Mm. And so just coming in there with this already given body of knowledge that a lot of people lack, has been incredibly helpful, you know, I and mean? mm-hmm. I don't know how other people could do it mm-hmm. other than just being completely ignorant and damaging.
1: Yeah, right. So I guess having you have a way to like link and, and relate through through this knowledge of the history that you guys th- right. share well, with the community. I
2: come from Texas and not it yeah. I was in high school during the Libro Traficantes, right? So because of the Tucson school system banning Mexican American heritage we people were literally driving books into the city, right, to hand them out. Mm -hmm. And it was in 2016 that the only book that was proposed to the Texas uh, Mexican American Heritage Curriculum had a passage about how Mexicans didn't know how to put in a full day's work and that they needed Anglos to teach them to not take naps and to do these sorts of things and Mm. it's like there was no other book put up and this is 2016 Mm -hmm. and that's because they didn't even allow curriculum to be developed right Mm -hmm. so i'm a grad student and this is going on back in texas and so the realities of these issues are very real to me and they're very felt yeah very personal yeah Mm
0: -hmm. so i was living in arizona at that time and man disappointed i mean like you know yeah arizona you you keep keep on trying you'll get there (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to just kind of fathom in my mind that things like this are still going on in like 2016, right? Like we're still having these issues. That uh, yeah, I don't, I just can't grapple with them in my in my mind sometimes. You're gonna have to grapple with it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I guess so. We're gonna have to use these these methods to sort of break down, you know, and start trying to answer these questions and find some solutions.
2: Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It seems like. Yeah. You're going to, it's all, you got a lot of work, you know what I mean? Yeah. And these people have a lot of work to do. And I mean, I have a lot of work to do, but it, again, it's about realizing that you have a lot of work to do. And at least taking that first step to recognize that you have more than a lifetime's worth of understanding to achieve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to break again. Uh, We're going to take a short music break and then we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation with Preston. So stay tuned. All
0: right. So thank, Thank you, thank you for tuning in. Here we are, Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7, HD3, Tampa, 16, 20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide, live and on the scene, 24-7 at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Uh, you can find us on AnthroAlert.com. Uh, learn more about, about Bulls Radio at BullsRadio.org. You know, find us on Twitter. Tweet at us at AnthroAlert. Uh, send us a text message eight zero two five five two four four eight seven. You know you can give us a call here at the, at the station eight one three nine seven four nine two eight five. We have many opportunities for you to get in touch with us as well as ask questions if you want, if you have a question for Preston uh, about his about his methods um, and his research. So uh, yeah, we're going to get back into the conversation.
3: Preston, I wanted to ask you if you could speak about what the main concerns of the folks you're working with around Sulphur Springs are in terms of heritage in terms of what stories they want to be told and together with that um what what are the major obstacles to to those stories getting told
2: well first I don't want to ever position myself as an authority on you know the 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 lived experiences of people in Sulphur Springs and also to problematize this idea of it as a cohesive community that, sure. that necessarily has, you know, an awareness of directions. But from, from what people have talked to me about, you know, it's gonna depend on your generation. If you were born and raised in Spring Hill, so previous to the highway movement, a lot of their concerns are just acknowledgement, right? It's as basic as saying we're here and we've been here and we have these things, right? And we have valuable things to, to teach people. And then as later generations go, they're dealing with different kinds of issues, right? Maybe they're dealing with the public school systems that have abysmal sort of local history integration and especially the abysmal <laughs> ethnic studies integration. So it depends on sort of where you're from in Tampa, you know, your generation, your age, you know, your, your attitudes towards things because some people prefer other things and other people prefer other things in terms of what they're proud of or what they want to maintain or what they want to pass on to future generations. So it's quite a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah. So one obstacle is the kind of the multiple different heritages, right, that people right. that people care about.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's an obstacle in the sense for, for institutions to try to manage it. You know, I don't think it's an obstacle for people at large. I think people at large, we do fine. You know what I mean? We remember what we want to remember, and we pass on what we want to pass on, and we form friendships and bonds and living kind of... Uh, lived experiences and how that's how we pass things on. And that's how we maintain things. It's these museums and these institutions that are stuck in a very sort of like, you know, a very prescriptive way. And it's, they can't quite understand how, you know, how do we turn like a song into a, into a written panel? And it's like, well, you, you kind of just missed the point. You know what I mean? It's like, you, need, you just need to acknowledge that songs might function differently and they do different things and you should respect that and mm-hmm. find a way to just, you know, what's wrong with your society that you can't respect a song. Mm. You know what I mean? mm mm-hmm. But um, obstacles, there's also sort of material obstacles, right? Even if people wanted to do things that might resemble sort of classical, you know, historical preservation techniques, I mean, it's expensive, you know, it's expensive to record things, it's expensive to maintain things, it's expensive to make videos, you know, it's expensive to write things down, it takes time. Usually it falls on individual family members. There's always usually the family member that takes it upon themselves to be the family historian, you know what I mean? That's kind of something I've noticed in a lot of groups. There's always somebody that's the family historian, and everybody else just kind of <laughs> drops it, you know. Or they might have pieces of the of the story, but there's always that one person that maintains sure. the, the whole the whole picture. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, so now, like looking ahead, so so Preston, so you and I, we started the program at the same time, okay, our same year, 2015. Um, it's been a while we're still here <laughs> what's so you know we got to get out of here at some point man what's what's next for you like what what is it what is it what are you looking forward to what's coming up well
2: for anybody that's known me for a long period like yourself i'm sure you remember that I entered the program talking a lot about plants and a lot about sustainability and a lot about farming. And so that's actually kind of the original thing that's motivated me to, to do heritage management was actually environmental heritage management. So things like gardening and seed saving and those kinds of things. And so going back to the whole ecological crisis thing, it's there's, an, there's a never-ending opportunity to apply that kind of knowledge. You know what I mean? There's always going to be an opportunity to grow a garden or be concerned about biodiversity. You know, these are issues that aren't going away. In fact, if anything, they're getting worse, right? Especially with this whole denial of climate change and this institutional and governmental rejection of, of action, right? So the, the, there's going to be a never-ending amount of work <laughs> for that. And that's kind of the direction that I want to go in and bring these sort of protocols and these ethics into that because the larger institutions at large, they're going to be searching for this information. I mean, they already are. They are already are mining communities, and they already are mining you know, individuals for this kind of new understanding of systems and of environments and of ways of interacting with the natural world and so it's going to be up to us to kind of protect that, right, to guard it, to say no, you can't have this information on these unequal terms, right, and to help kind of balance that, but mostly situating myself from the perspective of the people right, and I've I guess I've done that because I haven't been able to really be an agent of the institution you know, the institution's kind of I feel like has pushed me towards the margins. Even if I wanted to be an agent of the institution, it's not going to let me. So I just need to embrace my position.
0: All right. So you're very comfortable with kind of like having that general direction and kind of finding opportunities as they they present themselves, Um, so so long as they kind of align with that mission.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I have – personal connections in texas that are doing this kind of work there's a lot of environmental um, regeneration work that's going on to bring back bio uh, bio regions in texas there's a lot of stuff that's going on with uh, sustainable landscaping there's a lot of research on qualitative methods and that's been a, a thing that i've noticed in pretty much all disciplines across the board is embracing qualitative methods maybe not how necessarily we do them or we understand them but at least recognizing that Human understanding is an important component to whatever it is they do. You know what I mean. You see it a lot in biology. You see it a lot in chemistry. You see it a lot in sort of the hard fields, engineering. You know, they're realizing that they can't just spend that defense contract money right. anymore, and that you have to deal with issues that are going to affect humans, like
0: hurricanes. Mm. Yeah, matter of fact, I was just uh, I was talking to Spencer about this earlier today. I was looking at uh, just different like job job descriptions, and one of them was. Um, uh, really emphasized, and it was all, like atypical of what what you would kind of expect. But it, it was um, they were looking; their ideal candidate was like skilled in qualitative research, and they they threw out all these anthropological buzzwords. And I was like, man, I guess that's cool because that's like opportunity for for uh, people that are interested in that kind of work. But at the same time, it's thinking like you're saying the the interest in qualitative research. Um, is that gonna happen, like with, with people, um, with experts in anthropology or other, other fields like sociology and uh, basically these other these other disciplines that have been cultivating qu- what qualitative research is and what it's all about, or is it kind of just, or, or um, and this is like not a diss on anybody, but but like our engineers are kind of gonna engineer their own system of qualitative research that. They they may or may not miss the point of what they thought that they were trying to get to.
2: Right. No, and in fact, you already see that. You already see disciplines embrace qualitative research, but then it's their own brand or they don't acknowledge the past disciplines that have been kind of working and understanding and developing ethics and systems of protocols for qualitative research for a really long time. And, yeah, they'll take what they want and they'll reject what they don't. So if you think you're going to be hired as this qualitative researcher and, and they're going to respect all your critical theory and respect all the stuff that you brought with you as a critical anthropologist, that's not necessarily the case. You know, They might be confused by your methods and they find... You know, they'll find institutional ways to shut you out. You know, you didn't complete the job or you didn't present the information we were looking for or it didn't do what we wanted it to do. Sort of the prime example is the Human Terrain Project, right, where they hired anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, and it didn't produce the actionable data that they were looking for, right? They said, go do anthropology, make us better, (laughs) better killers, better soldiers, but it didn't always give them what they wanted anthropology doesn't necessarily behave like that right it's Mm -hmm. not like a formula it's something a bit more organic that requires reflection and patience and Mm -hmm. connectivity Mm
1: -hmm. i I think uh, yeah
0: so so we're going to take just a one more short little music break we're going to come back um in in like a minute or so and then we'll we'll close up the show closing remarks give preston a chance to you know give us his his final words final well wishes and and uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be back. So stay locked onto <laughs> WUSF eighty nine point seven HD three Tampa. All right, here we go.
3: Welcome back to Anthro Alert. We're talking to Preston Lafarge about heritage studies and heritage management, and we are wrapping up our show with a final section, a final reflection from Preston about anthropology.
0: That was almost poetic. That was good. So yeah, man. So just kind of give us the rundown. You know, uh, what's wh- what's the the key message that you, that you think that we should take away from our conversation this past hour, um, and also kind of kind of illustrate for us like why, you know, we already talked about, it, but like why is this important?
2: Oh man. <laughs> well, I guess to summarize. What I was doing, I was like I said, I was interested in seeing if heritage management and specifically sort of heritage management in Tampa could be a site for decolonization and specifically the kind of decolonization that I was working on and approaching back in Texas dealing with, you know, um, ethnic studies and sort of new new locations for knowledge, where to go, where to find them, where to embrace them. And, yeah, and then coming up from that and being not so sure if – heritage management or museums or these institutions are always ready to deal with the implications of what they want right so they want to incorporate the voices of people and they want to incorporate new knowledges but you know it's getting hot out there you know what I mean it's getting it's getting tough it's getting less and less likely that people are gonna be smiling when you invite them in you know what I mean Mm. in fact the time to do that was centuries ago but here we are so I guess as a summary or advice, you know, if you're not on the side of the people, you better get on it and figure out what you what you're doing. You know, what are you doing on this earth and what are you doing right now? Because yeah. you know, don't be on the wrong side of history,
1: right? Mm. <laughs> That's man, my I, advice. Man, I think we should just like cut the show right there.
0: That was awesome. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> that was that was a really good takeaway. Um yeah, so uh, thank you, you know, uh Preston for for taking some time coming on to the show, telling yeah, thanks us Yeah, for Telling us about you know, the the important work that you're doing, and um, especially kind of helping helping people like me understand <laughs> that um, you know there there are multiple perspectives to to history and heritage management, and uh, it's important to really reflect on how complex that really is. And, and um, I mean, you know, I, I do the show. I've been doing the show for a little bit, and I learn I learn something every single time. And uh, yeah, this this was a good one. Uh, I certainly do appreciate you coming on and, and uh, enlightening me. Oh, thanks because, for having me. Man, that's a big time. Yeah, had a good time. Um, all right, so that's the show for this week. Again, you know, find us on anthroalert.com. We, we got videos on YouTube, we got um, audio on anthroalert.com. It's through Tumblr, so it's not the best quality, but hey, you know, one day we'll, we'll get it up there. And, um, of course, you know, connect with us on Twitter at anthroalert. Um, otherwise, you know, on anthroalert.com, that's where we'll be. So that's the show for today. We'll see you all next next week when you tune in at two p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then again at three Eastern Standard Time uh, on TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Again, thanks everybody. This was Bulls Radio Anthro Alert. Next time, next week. See ya.